We uh, started handing out to you uh, our Here and Now brochure or packet uh, as that video was ending there. Hopefully Venue and Cactus, you guys are getting this packet as well handed out to you. We did not hand it out earlier because I know most of you and you would have read it during the worship songs and I didn't want you doing that. So, you know, I really don't even want you reading it now because I'm going to walk you through it, but I know some of you have no self-discipline. So if you want to go ahead and read it, you're, you're covered, you're under the umbrella of grace, it's church, nobody will shame you, but I am going to walk you through this and then you're going to take it home and read it as well. Before I pray, because it's a huge day for us, before I pray, uh, let me make a comment to our Cactus campus because Cactus is now joining us live. And, you know, much of today we're going to be talking about uh, the future of our church, and today we're going to be specifically talking about this campus and, and where we're going here on the, on the Shea campus and some changes we need to make here. And so what I want to say to Cactus is that, you know, when, uh, when we built the Cactus campus, and many of you were here for that just about a half year ago, we were all in that together. We talked to you about it all the time. It was the funding of Scottsdale Bible Church that did that. We, we are now one church with two campuses, and we all got excited about Cactus because Cactus is us, and we are Cactus. It's, again, it's one church, two campuses. And so Cactus, as we talk to you guys now about what we're going to do here on Shea, my hope and prayer is that you get just as excited because everything we do here affects you as, as what you do there affects us because we're all one body in Christ. So next week we're going to talk about the second leg of our vision, multi-sites and church planting and some other things. And so Cactus will be right with us on this. But today, let's just remember we're all in this together as we seek God for the exciting future of our church. So with that said, would you bow with me right now and let's pray. Father, if I know many of the people here, and I do, they, they are longing to see more and more of the move of your Spirit among this church that we all know and love. God, as we're going to see today, you've blessed us in numerous ways, and we're so grateful for that. And yet, Lord, as we look forward to the future, we want to see that blessing continue and even increase. And so, God, as we've developed a plan to do that, we pray that you guide us, you excite us, unify us, protect us, and provide for us. As we talk about the future of our church today, I pray in Christ's name, amen. So just five years ago, in the fall of 2007, when I came here to Scottsdale Bible Church, I will never forget my very first elder meeting. Our elders are the spiritual leaders of the church. They're the ones who I report to. They are selected by our congregation for four-year terms to really be the spiritual leaders of our church. And in the very first elder meeting I attended, Barry Asmus, who's one of our lead elders, walked in and had under his arms these floor pads. And, and these are floor pads that link together that we use in our children's ministry for the kids to sit on. Or if you were re-carpeting a playroom, you might use these pads there. And I said to Barry, why are you bringing these to an elder meeting? I mean, it looks like these are for kids. Are we going to talk about children's ministry? And he said, no, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the future of our church. From this point on, every time the elders meet, we're going to pray for provision, for protection, for wisdom, for discernment, for unity, and for revival. And he said, and the reason that I'm bringing these prayer pads here is because when we pray, I want the elders to pray on their knees. And I know some of the elders will complain about praying on their knees because the ground is too hard, and so I brought these pads that I will bring to every elder meeting so when the elders pray, they will have no excuse for not hitting their knees. 
And for the next four years, every meeting, Barry Asmus brought his prayer pads that still sit in my office today because of his call for the elders to pray for the future of our church from day one when I got here. And it didn't stop there. The elders eventually developed personal prayer meetings in their homes on a monthly basis where in addition to our, quote, business meetings, the elders met at a home in the community where we would gather together, share our hearts, and pray. We took regular retreats in which we wouldn't just plan and strategize the future of the church, but we would set aside time to pray. We at one point even watched a particular video that I'm going to talk to you about at the end of today that's kind of a, a voice from the grave. It's one of the old-time saints from last century who gave a talk on prayer and revival of God's people. And it so moved the elders when we watched this video together that one elder started a weekly prayer meeting in his house on Monday nights for that following season to pray for the revival of God's church called Scottsdale Bible. I tell you all this because there's been a lot of prayer, a lot of seeking of God by the leaders of your church over the last five years. And birthed out of this overt emphasis on prayer ever since the very first elder meeting I attended has arisen a vision for our church. You see, prayer does that. If you're stale in your marriage, what do you do? You pray. And God changes you and gives you a vision for your marriage. If your kid is struggling and really hurting, what do you do? You hit your knees and you pray. And you watch God move and then also change you and give you a vision for your kid. If your business is failing, you pray. And God moves and gives you a vision. As we prayed for our church, God has given us a vision and even a strategy as we move forward. Now, our hope and our vision is probably best captured by God's word to Isaiah in his prophecy concerning Israel's future that I believe also affects the church. Because some of the promises to Israel, according to the book of Galatians, have now come true in the church. Some of God's dreams to bless Abraham's descendants are now poured in and through, in part, the church. I believe there's a future for the nation Israel, certainly too, but the blessing also is imparted to the church. So look at what Isaiah 44, verses 3 and 4, have God saying about the future of his people and the blessing he wants to give. This is our vision, Isaiah 44, verses 3 and 4. You're going to love this as one's living in the desert. You ready for this? God says, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Folks, if ever you saw it in the Bible, that is desert imagery. If ever we saw it. And all of us who have lived in the desert for any length of time can relate to this. Ever experienced a monsoon rain? I remember my first one back in 07. When the water hit the dry ground and coming from Ohio, I thought, well, this ground is thirsty. It's just going to soak it up. But no, this ground is so hard that, as you know, the ground diverts the water to these washes, and you dare not try to drive through one if it's going across the road, because there's so much water coming down in these washes that it can even create enough water to have trees spring up in them, trees that confuse us when the rain isn't raining, because you go, how can a tree grow in the desert? Well, it's easy. 
when the water comes in such a, a, a concentrated form and so strong to the thirsty ground, even where there's not many plants, you can see big trees grow up in the places where the water flows. And that's what God wants to do among his people. He says, I want to pour my spirit out on people so that there would be such a concentration of my power and my goodness that it will be unmistakable that I am moving in their midst. Where there was just little grass, there's now going to be willow trees of healing and evangelism and of marriages finally getting right with God and of communities being blessed because of the church. Why? Because God's spirit is poured out upon his people. And you see, though simple, that's the vision that God has given your elders here at Scottsdale Bible. We want to see more and more of God's blessing poured upon his people in such a way that it's tangible, in such a way that it's unmistakable, that people come to Christ, that people grow in their faith in Christ, that marriages get healed, that communities get served that we see people grow in their relationship with Christ and start to change and become all that God wants them to be in their character and their morality and their personality. God is in the business of changing people, and he does so by pouring his spirit out on us like water on a thirsty ground. And so as we have sought God over the last five years on behalf of our church, here's the first thing we have realized in light of the blessings alluded to in Isaiah 44, and this is point one on your outline for those of you who are following, and that is that it's clear to us that God blesses his church, and one of the things that we've also noticed is that God has blessed ours. That's the starting place for you and I this morning, that God blesses his church, that's the promise of Isaiah 44, he pours his spirit out on us, and when we apply that to Scottsdale Bible, we thank him for our blessings. If you have your packet in front of you, I want you to open it right now to uh, the fourth and fifth pages. So the first page has got that opening comment from me, and then the second one is intro, and then open to the page where you see 12 different pictures on it. You show it there here on the screen, 12 different pictures. You got that page? You know, one of the things that, that, that drives us nuts but also endears us to some of the people around us is when you ask somebody about their grandkids, or say their children, or their last vacation, and instead of saying everything's fine, what do they do? They pull out their wallet with a bunch of pictures, or they pull out their, their, their iPhone, and they start showing you pictures of kids you don't know in places you've never seen. And, and though you're bored stiff, let's be honest, by looking at all those pictures and all that, at the same time, one of the things that's going through your mind is you say to yourself, this person really loves their grandkids. This person really loves their kids, or this person really loves Bora Bora or wherever they just came back from. You realize there's a passion inside of them. If somebody has asked you about Scottsdale Bible Church, these would be the 12 snapshots you'd pull out of your wallet. These would be the things, whether you know it or not, that you're excited about with your church. Uh, so notice here that we are a church that worships on a regular basis, and our worship is real. We have 6,000 plus people that come to one of our nine different services every Sunday here, four in here, two in the venue, two at Cactus, and then a 20-something service on Sunday night. And we worship with robustness, whether it's more traditional or more contemporary. And notice right below that that we are a Bible-teaching church. Many of you love that about your church. Since I have been here just in the last five years, we've studied Ruth, Esther, Daniel, Philippians, 2 Timothy, First and Second Peter, and even Romans 1 through 8. And as soon as we're done with this current vision series and our capital campaign come Easter, we're going to start the book of Galatians. And we're going to stay in Galatians for the rest of the year. 
Why? Because we're a Bible-teaching church, and we're a worshiping church, and God has blessed us in that measure. But we do a lot more than that. As we've reached out to the community around us, we have seen more than 250 baptisms just this past year. And you know what's cool about these baptisms? Now, don't miss this. Every one of them has a story. And every one of them is about God's movement in the life of an individual. So the my story we showed a few weeks ago of Robin, remember her? Some of you were here. Oh my gosh, six months ago, kind of happy and satisfied in her Judaism, getting it half right because she believed strongly in the Old Testament. And then somebody reached out to Robin and introduced her to what life in Jesus Christ is about. And she found completion for her faith and became a follower of Jesus Christ because of somebody here at Scottsdale Bible Church. My favorite is a guy named Gil who came down in the altar call that we did during the I Am series last spring. And uh, Gil was 80-some-odd years old when he came forward, never accepted Christ in all of his life. And when we were preparing him for his baptism after accepting Christ, he said the most tender thing I've ever heard. He said as he wrote down his testimony, I'm just so glad that God remembered me. Didn't that touch you? See, we got lots of stories like that where every time we see a statistic like 250 baptisms, man, please know there's a train load of stuff behind that, of God's movement in the lives of his people. And I'll transfer that to the next snapshot we have, their service. We have 3,000 people in our church that regularly serve either through this church or with one of our 19 partnership, partner ministries. We have people that serve the poor down at neighborhood ministries. They go to prisons and minister to those in prison. We have people working at St. Mary's Food Bank or Matthew 25 or Christian Family Care. We have people that serve all the time on our campus here. God's given a spiritual gift to every believer in Christ, and our church serves. We do leadership training. Hundreds of people have gone through our leadership training. We have 2,500 people in small groups and 1,000 people in enrichment classes. So it's not just about serving, but connecting and growing, being discipled in your faith. We do local outreach to thousands of refugees, Burmese refugees here in Phoenix. It's become one of our, our, our stellar ways of reaching out to those around us. We give $300,000 plus a year away just in financial help to those in need. Uh, there's so much that your church does. I'm not bragging. This is reality. We've done a lot of expansion into our community. We did multi-site expansion this just this last fall where we started our new Cactus Campus and get this, the very first Sunday at Cactus Campus, Rick announced next Sunday we go to two services because we had so many people from our church and the community involved. We planted lots of churches over the years. Desert View, Northridge, and just in the last five years, we planted four churches, one in Fountain Hills, one in Peoria, one in North Scottsdale, and one in South Scottsdale. Why? Because we want to share the wealth. God has blessed us. And then you got missions. Those are those three snapshots at the bottom right, missions. Our church supports 53 missionaries all over the world. We have ministry partnerships with strategic places like Kassar Adabaro Presbyterian Church, the largest church in the Middle East, Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary, and who could ever forget Tanzania, where we've adopted two villages. We support 850 kids, linking them to 850 families in our church, and we've been able to provide education, water, food, and help to two villages that we really call our own. And we're not nearly done there. 
as we've given them a cup of cold water in Jesus' name and then introduced them to the Savior. I'm not bragging here. I'm not one of those grandparents trying to show you pictures of kids and just talk about all their, their education things. I'm just saying this is reality. No matter how you slice it, God has blessed our church. And so when I think of our church, I think of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and then chapter 3, verse 10 where God says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then check out Ephesians 3, verse 10. This will throw you. So that through the church, don't miss that, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, God pours His Spirit upon His people And in so doing, he blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, even so that through the church, his wisdom and glory might be seen. And we've seen that here in our church. Now, with the good, however, tends to come the bad. We all know that. I don't want to be a downer, but we all know that living in a fallen world, and let's say it more spiritually, when you get blessed, that blessing also creates challenge. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Your business grows and you're really blessed, but you got a whole new set of problems. Your kids go off to school and they're doing really well and they also got a whole new set of problems. Every time blessing comes in life, we tend to have corresponding challenges. It's just the way it is in a fallen world. And so with the great blessings that God has given to our church, what the elders have discerned over the last five years is that there are also some significant challenges that we have as we move forward. Things that must be addressed because they have posed formidable barriers that need to be dealt with. So I want to share these things with you. And if you turn the page after the snapshot page, the next four pages will be the things that outline our challenges for you. And I'm going to kind of walk you through these here in six different categories that aren't in your packet, but that I will share with you. And the first category is space. Space. Most people don't know this, but in the last five years, our church has grown 25% in our weekly attendance of adults and children. We've hid it well from you. Because the way that we've handled our growth is by starting a venue on the other side of campus. Welcome venue. Or we started a cactus campus. Welcome cactus. Uh, We've added services to the point that we have four services in here. And we have two in our venue, two on cactus campus, and one for 20-somethings on Sunday night. So we've been able to cram a lot of services on Sunday here in our campus and at other places. But we are still very crowded. And we're fast running out of space. In fact, we're out of space January through May in our prime hours. For those of you who are interested, we have room at our 8 o'clock service for you. Are you interested in that? (laughs) For those of you who are interested, we have room at our 5 o'clock Sunday night service. Are you interested in that? You're not. Because most people associate church with 9 to noon on Sunday morning. It's just part of our American culture. But it's in those hours that we are completely out of space, and we need to address that problem, and we're going to. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this, but every other area of our church is out of space as well. Our fifth and sixth graders in junior high have totally outgrown their space. Broke my heart. Three weeks ago, a gal came in during the service, a little gal, and sat next to her parents, 
And later the dad said to me that the reason the gal came in and sat next to her parents is that she tried to go to our Club 5-6 and there wasn't one seat available for her. She got there too late. Folks, that should not be. Our junior high ministry, it's just packed in the room that we've given them. It's a good problem to have. Our special ministries that ministers to special adults and kids had one room with a half-time staff person when I came here five years ago. We've now given them two rooms with one and a half staff people, and they are completely out of space. Good problem to have. And our children's ministry that we planned for in our last capital campaign eight years ago has now outgrown their space. How many of you have ever heard of Awana? It's our Wednesday night program. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Awana. You know, it's amazing. Awana is kind of a dated program, meaning it's been around forever. But every time we try to think of something more cool to offer their kids than Awana, they say, no, we want Awana. It's just a great program. So last year, not this year, but last year, we had 230 kids at the beginning of the school year in Awana, and we ended with 320 kids. Not bad on a Wednesday night. This past fall, however, we began with 380 kids in Awana, was like, oh boy, we've got a lot of kids. And by mid-September, we had 440 kids in Awana. I had 83-year-olds here on a Wednesday night. I didn't show up for that, but we had 83-year-olds here in our church. And though that sounds all good and wonderful, the email that came to me from our children's pastor was simply, he said, Jamie, because of room capacity, we're having to close enrollment on three-year-olds in order to allow for third and sixth graders to not be limited more harshly as well. When I got this email, all I could think of was Jesus' famous words, hinder not the little children from coming unto me. And you see, we got to deal with that because that's not what we do as a church. Our enrichment class space is limited, adult Sunday school space, where we have to use the chapel now. In addition to all this, our kitchen is just so incredibly small. In fact, I love going into our kitchen because if I go into our kitchen here at our church, it's about the size of a kitchen in a single-family residence in North Scottsdale. Now, granted, kitchens in a single-family residence in North Scottsdale are extremely large by Midwest standards, where I come from, and they're very nice kitchens, but still, it's a kitchen for a single-family residence. And that's about what we have at our church. And we're feeding hundreds on that. We even need to address that. We have space constraints, and we have a plan to deal with that. Before I get to that more quickly, um, the flow of our campus needs to be addressed. Uh, just simply, let me say it this way, because we're going to run out of time fast here, but, but uh, the flow of our campus was developed over a 30-year period, one building at a time. In other words, we started on that end, with 18 acres and built the first building. And then as we needed, we just sort of came this way. And as a result of that, we have buildings all over this campus, but the flow isn't all that helpful to the average family. So so for instance, if a a family visits us with kids, what happens is is they park in the back parking lot because that's where they come in. They drop off their kids on the southeast corner where the kids' ministry is. They make their way up through what we've come to call the Berlin Wall, D&E there. They make their way up through the Berlin Wall that separates our campus and then they come and worship. And then when they get done worship, they go back out through the Berlin Wall down to their kids. And because we only have 15 minutes in between services and a half an hour, if we're lucky, in between the second and third, what do the parents intuitively do at that point? They leave. Daryl, 20 years ago, formulated the mission of our church, and he said it so well when he said the mission of our church is come, grow, go. But that's not what he meant. 
He didn't mean that we would come, grow, and go all in one hour on Sunday morning. That was not the vision. But that's what it's become because of some of the flow problems we have. We have a plan to address that. And then think about the fact that we need more relational space on our campus. This is a great challenge we have as well. When I first visited here in 2007, one of the first thing I noticed on my first tour of our campus, as much as I love this campus, is that we have a narrow atrium, we have a very small courtyard for 6,000 people, and obviously an inadequate kitchen and things like that. And so I asked somebody, where is the space dedicated for relationships to develop at Scottsdale Bible Church? And the person said, well, we got this classroom over here where we do teaching, and we got this gym over here where we do gym stuff, and we have the worship center here where we get large groups together, and then we got this cool new venue room where we can do a lot of kids stuff. And I go, no, no, no. Where do we sit down and have a cup of coffee? Where do we sit down with a lost person and explain to him or her the gospel? Where, where's the relational space that Jesus did most of his ministry within? Because Jesus did most of his best work over a meal. Amen. The Last Supper was a meal. It didn't start out as a holy, well, it was a Passover supper, so I guess it was holy, but it was a meal. And then he turned it into the Lord's Supper. But where's our space to do that? We got a plan to deal with that. And then flip the page if you're following along with me in the packet there. Um, our, our, our community presence is another one of our challenges. Here's what I mean by that. When you tell someone, say one of the 87% of Scottsdale residents who don't go to church, that's what the number is. 87% were one of the most unchurched communities in all of our nation. So when you tell one of the 87% that don't go to church that you go to church and that you go to Scottsdale Bible Church and they say, where is it? And you say it's on the corner of Shea and Miller, just east of Scottsdale Road, what many times is the response that you get? I didn't know there was a church there. I hear it all the time. I was down to get my car washed. A block and a half away from here, about six months ago, I only had a half an hour, I don't usually go there, but I went to the car wash there, and I was getting my car washed. And, you know, one of the things I hate about Arizona is that every time you get your car washed, they want to replace your windshield. You ever notice that about this town? It's crazy. They go, hey, we're going to wash your car. You know, you need a new windshield. Like, what does that have to do with it? But anyways, they're bugging me about my windshield. And it's my kid's car, and I don't have comprehensive, so I'm like... I figured if they were going to bug me about my windshield, I was going to bug this kid about Jesus. So he's bugging me about my windshield. And I said, where do you go to church? He goes, what? what? I go, where do you go to church? And he said, nowhere. And I said, I do. In fact, I'm the pastor down here at Scottsdale Bible Church. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, there's a church down the road? I said, yeah. I said, well, what are you, what are you even smoking, kid? I said, where do you, where do you get off at, at, when you come here to, to work? And he said, I get off at 101 in Shea. I said, you've been driving past this. How long you worked here? He said, four years. I said, you've been driving by. I, I, I can understand how you'd miss it. We only have 18 acres in the middle of a residential community. We only have 125,000 square feet under. I can understand why you'd miss us. How do they miss us? Tim Kimmel said it best. Tim Kimmel, one of our elders, said the problem is, is that our welcome mat is on our back door. He says, if you make it to our back parking lot, you, want, you get it. If you make it to our back parking lot, you know we're a church and you're ready to come in. But if you're driving down Shea, you're, you're apt to miss it. And, and see, we, we have a plan to deal with that. A fifth challenge we have is an access challenge. And this is kind of a different one than what goes on on our campus. But, but this is an endearing challenge, by the way. Here's the deal. People love our church. Have you ever noticed that? 
Those that have found a home here really love Scottsdale Bible. And yet, we have a lot of people who are willing to travel a long way to get here. Mesa, Gilbert, Glendale. Uh, they're willing to come along Cave Creek a long way. And at our newcomer guest luncheons, I'm asked regularly, since we started our Cactus Campus, they say, when are you going to start a campus near us? When are you going to give us access to Scottsdale Bible Church in our own community? Because they know we're onto something there. And see, that's a challenge we have before us. We have a plan to deal with that. And then lastly, and with this we're going to move into third gear, but, but, but lastly, the elders have discerned, and I'm so touched by this one, a legacy challenge. A legacy challenge. You're saying, what's that? When you guys hired me to be your senior pastor, I was 43 years old. It's been six, well, I'm going on my sixth year. I'm now 49. I turned 49 last week. And I still feel young, and I'm, I'm ready to climb the hill with you. And we are climbing the hill. But here's what every study shows, and you guys did this to Daryl. By the time I reach 59, rightly so, you guys are going to begin to ask, hopefully you won't can me, but you're going to begin to ask, what's next? Our pastor is getting older. Every pastor has been shown in America, a study has shown this, that they're pretty good at attracting people 10 years plus or minus their age. So if you've got a 45-year-old pastor, you're pretty good with 35-year-olds, you're pretty good with 55-year-olds. But if your pastor is 60 years old, it's time to start thinking about what's next. And you guys will do that, I promise you, about that time. And see, here's what our elders have latched on to. We want to deal with some of our space, flow, relational space, access, community presence, challenges now so that when we start planning the baton handoff 10 years from now, we got something really functional, workable, and beautiful to hand off to them. Does that make sense? We could wait 10 years. We couldn't just deal with all the problems we have right now. But I'm telling you, when we do that, now we got double trouble. Because not only are we now looking at a major senior pastor change, but we got facility issues as well. We don't want to do that. So now is the time to do legacy planning, especially with our facility and our ministry structure here. So these are our challenges uh, built upon the vision that we have. Isn't that just the way life works? God has blessed us. And because he has, we have space, flow, relational space, community presence, access, and legacy challenges because of the blessings that we have, because of this water of his spirit that he's poured out upon us. So, this has caused us to adopt a vision and a strategy called Compelled by Grace. Simply put, we're compelled by grace, God's grace, to meet these challenges that we have by leaving a great legacy, setting the table for generations to come, by reaching our community in deeper and more meaningful ways, and to impact our world for the cause of Christ. And we've developed a fourfold strategy that we've come up with to address our vision and our challenges. And over the next four weeks, I'm going to share with you each week a component of our strategy. Today is going to be the strategy of redesigning our Shea campus. I'll get to that in a minute. The other three strategies we have is that we want to plant four multi-site congregations over the next five years. Is that amb ambitious enough for you? And then we want to plant 10 churches over the next 10 years. And somebody's saying, what's the difference between church and multi-site? Come next week. I'm going to show you from the book of Acts what the difference is. And it's exciting. And then we're going to talk about this month Western Europe. You're in Western Europe. And the Middle East. Because those are two areas right now 
in our international ministries focus that are just dying on the vine and need the cause of Christ. And we have a plan that we've already started implementing to move more into them. Are you starting to get the vision? Redesign our campus. I'll explain that in just a second. Five more, four more multi-sites, 10 church plants, and then Western Europe and the Middle East. And it's just a start. But if we do that, we're going to start to address some of the vision and challenges that God has given us as a church. Now, let me talk to you about our campus here right now. I already started to hint to you already. And to do so, I need all of you to stop looking at your packet and look up here on the screen. And, and, and Cactus and Venue, look up on your screens. You will notice that this is a Google Maps view of our campus right now with Shea up here at the north and our parking lot down here at the south. And just to get your bearings straight, here is our worship center here on the far west side. And then we have our little courtyard. We have administrative offices and adult education. Children's ministry all right here on our south and east end. Our, this is where our church started and what is our gymnasium, used to be called a sanctinasium. And then our senior, junior high, and club 5-6 meets here. Again, buildings built as we needed them over the years. And again, I explained to you that flow problem where people come in down here, they make their way up here into the worship, they come after worship, back up, pick up their kids, and then leave. So what do we do to alleviate all the challenges or deal with all the challenges that we talked about earlier? Well, let me show you what we're going to do. Give me another click here. What our architects have come up with, and we've been working on this for a year, and this is a brilliant strategy if you ask me, is to leave most of our buildings alone because they're well-built buildings and they serve us well, but we're going to make some changes within them, but then also to add three new buildings and two of the buildings are going to replace current buildings. So here in the pink is existing buildings that stay. The purple become new buildings that we're going to add. Let me explain. You'll notice first that on the northwest corner of our, of our property, there by Shea, we want to build a chapel. A beautiful 300-seat, very church-looking, with a big cross in front of it, chapel. And you're saying, Why? Well, two reasons. One, remember that community presence thing? We want everybody who drives by on Shea to go, oh, a church, because they're going to see a chapel, and they're going to go, that's a church. And little will they know, because it's only a 300-seat chapel, that behind that little chapel is 18 acres that is a church, and they're going to associate us with a church. But more substantively, the second reason we want a chapel is because we need to have a chapel on our campus for weddings, for funerals, and for increased worship space. Because we need 300 more seats to offer a traditional worship at our prime hours, because music is still an issue here, where people can meet in a more intimate setting, have worship, and then the sermon will come in via video. Our, many of our seniors have been asking for this. And to have a chapel on our campus will be nice. Some of you say, well, don't we have a chapel already about two blocks away? Yeah, we do. Uh, and that chapel might as well be up in Cave Creek, and I'll tell you why. Because no one walks to our current chapel. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it's two blocks away, and I walk there when I have to go there, but I'm telling you, I never see people walk to our chapel. It's an off-site chapel. Plus, the chapel was originally built as a seminary education room. That's why Daryl and them built it, to function also as a chapel. So it only has six rows. 
And though I have enjoyed doing weddings there, it's a little bit of an awkward wedding in our chapel. Uh, the first wedding I ever did there, I remember looking at six rows and going, how are we going to have a wedding here? I mean, the processional, what, is she going to start in the parking lot? Like, where, how are we going to have a wedding in this chapel? And, and sure enough, we started the processional. And was, dum, dum. Oh, she's here already. And I was like... <laughs> And we just sat there as the, as the song went on and on and on and on and on. And I got two daughters, men, and I'm very protective of them, so don't even try. But I got two daughters, and, and, and someday I hope they get married here, and I'd like to have a little bit more of a runway, you know, so I can cry. So we want a chapel on our campus that, that we feel is going to be a beautiful addition to our campus that will give us increased worship space and also a place to do our pastoral care. And then we're going to take our current worship center, the worship center that you're in right now, and we're going to add 400 seats in here. You're going, how are you going to do that? Easy. Take out the pews, put in auditorium seats, theater seats. You guys will love it because everybody gets an individual seat. I see how you guys are now. You're like, don't get too close to me. You get individual seats, and yet in doing so, we can increase capacity from 1,800 squished to 2,200 people in the same footprint. It's just a no-brainer. We'd also like to go up if we can, if the Lord will provide the provision for it, because in going up, not all of it up, but in the back up, so we can have better views. And so we have a plan for that. Uh, once we do that, have you guys done the math? We'll have 700 additional seats per worship service. Now, here's where it gets really radical. I'm so excited about this. If we can add 700 seats per worship service hour, I'm going down to two services on Sunday morning. Some of you are going, why? Are you tired? Well, yeah, but that has nothing to do with it. But <laughs> the reason I want to go down to two services is that I am sick and tired of the way that we do church. We are so rushed. Have you ever noticed that? It's just not the Jesus way. When I get our worship service order for each week, I just laugh because Troy gives me 69 minutes for each service. That's what it's come down to. And there's a clock back there. I hate that thing where it's just going down the whole time. And when it gets down to zero, it like turns eight shades of red and it goes negative and all this because we got a whole other group coming in. And have you guys experienced our parking lot? I mean, it's just not right. If we can offer a service at 9 and a service at 11 and have a great deal of margin in between, and I'm going to talk to you about our cafe here in a minute, we have some breathing space. And do the math. If we can have two services on Sunday, and then I want to take Sunday night and move them to Saturday night. We've already been working on Sunday night crew on that. Saturday night's a great service option. We can have three services every weekend here in this place that can accommodate, and I get this, 2,900 people per service hour. Because you have 2,200 in here, 300 in the chapel, that's 2,500, and we still have our venue of 400 people. So that's a capacity of 9,000 people just on the Shea campus per weekend. Right now we average about 5,500 adults in worship. So that gives us a lot of room to grow, but then margin in how we do worship. I think it's so right for our church. We want to take the existing e-building then, and we want to tear it down. And we want to put a state-of-the-art family life ministry center there. You'll see a detailed picture here in a minute that is two stories that will house our children's ministry and then have a full cafe off the back of it. A cafe, a place to meet. Remember that relational space I was talking about? Where church can then become the third place. First place is home, second place is work, third place is Starbucks or a country club or a bar. That's what third place is in Scottsdale culture. We want it to be our church where you can come any morning of the week and get breakfast. You can come and, and, and get a lunch or you can meet for a Bible study. We want a cafe 
here on our campus. And in between services, you can go there. I don't know of any church our size that doesn't have this already. We need this to do the spiritual work that we want to do. But we're going to take special ministries and move them down here to the D building, and we're going to double their space for special ministries. We're going to take our current student ministry, and we're going to take down the building over there that is so old, and, and just we just don't have enough space there, and we're going to build a two-level children's ministry, or student ministry space that, get this, will increase student ministry capacity for our Club 5-6, and our junior high by 60%. The children's ministry building increases it by 60%. See how we're doing this? And it meets the needs of our growing church. And then we're going to take our enrichment classes, which are a hallmark of our adult education, and we're going to put them in their own wing of our church, eight classrooms here, with their own courtyard at the southeast end of our campus there. And we're going to have just as much enrichment class space as we do right now, just in a more concentrated place. We have some parking issues to work out as we grow, and we're talking to enrichment classes about that. But this gives us space for everybody on our current campus, and we're so excited about this campus redesign. i got to tell you, folks, very, very honestly, and I can't overemphasize enough, 13 months ago, when we were starting to plan for this, I wanted to go into a building campaign just about as much as I'd want to eat a jar of mayonnaise in one sitting. I mean, I'm serious. Think about eating a jar of mayonnaise in one sitting. You would not enjoy it. And I didn't want to go to a building campaign. I, I, I don't enjoy them as a pastor because they stress and toll on the congregation. But in a week-long planning session, as we had bathed it in prayer, when this came out, here's what I felt. This is right for our church. It's going to be a lofty goal, but it's right. I want to show you a video right now of what this is going to feel like to you as you walk through it. we got a 3D rendering of this. So look up here on the screen and try to get a feel on what this is going to feel like for you if, if, when and if we can get this done. Look up here on the screen. In a spiritually thirsting valley where 87% of the population is unchurched, Scottsdale Bible is an oasis in the desert. We envision a new legacy that offers a refreshing invitation to drink from living waters. A newly redesigned campus with symbolic streams and distinctive water features welcomes people as never before and encourages them to be nourished here. Whether you enter from Shea Boulevard or from our South parking lot, our new campus reflects a design with God's purpose for us in mind. Our prayer garden, originally created as a place for remembrance and quiet reflection, is preserved but expanded to bring new opportunities. This outdoor sanctuary serves as a beautiful setting for outdoor weddings and other special seasonal events. With this redesign, we will offer unparalleled accessibility to the campus and more deliberate unity between the ministries. Our new children's ministry building shows our commitment to children and families. Now parents may freely worship knowing that their children are receiving excellent care and ministry nearby in a top-notch facility that's intentionally designed to meet their needs. Our picturesque new chapel, prominently located as the focal point of our campus, is an inviting symbol of the grace of God available through our church. The chapel offers room for 300 people to enjoy a more traditional worship experience each Sunday and provides an ideal setting for intimate weddings and other significant events and family milestones. Our redesigned campus offers intentional sight lines into the activity of the church from Shea Boulevard, providing views of the vibrant children's ministry, the Destination Cafe, where friends gather throughout the week, and the ministries going on around campus. The new buildings along Shea will serve as an open doorway to the entire campus and the opportunities available here. 
A closer look at these buildings shows our intentional emphasis on family ministry and building relationships. Our new two-story student ministry building offers an exciting facility where our youth will want to bring their friends, their classmates, and their teammates. By almost doubling the space for our junior high and Club 56 groups, we can reach more students and serve as an even greater outpost to our community schools and families. Across from the Student Ministry Building and accessible from Shea is our new cafe. Set to be the social center of the church, the cafe will offer comfortable outdoor and indoor seating, great food, and an inviting environment for you to meet with friends after worship or anytime throughout the week. We envision the cafe as a place for you to pleasantly introduce people to the life of Scottsdale Bible. To accommodate the additional people coming to discover the grace of God here, we are also enhancing our worship facilities. With worship center renovations and the addition of the chapel, we will add room for 700 more people at each service time. Because children will be in their new building near the worship center, the current children's classrooms are being repurposed so we can continue offering superior enrichment classes for adults. With large rooms and a tented courtyard, this enhanced space will be ideal for gatherings and social opportunities throughout the week. God has uniquely blessed us with the opportunities to minister to people with special needs. To accomplish this in an even greater way, we're renovating the first level of the D building to bless these wonderful friends and their families by giving them room to grow. This redesign will leave a lasting legacy that will bless future generations. Reaching more people will impact our community with the gospel and ministry. We desire nothing less than to reach the world with Christ's love. Join us in this kingdom effort. Together, we are compelled by grace. <laughs> Over a year ago when uh, this first was shown to me, I, uh, first thing I felt was, and I hope you feel this, we are fully and finally completing our campus. I mean, we talked about that legacy thing earlier. Earlier, I'm telling you, if we do this, and we can, when we hand this off to our kids in 10, 15 years, I, I mean, I don't think they can do better, do you? I, I mean, I think this is exactly what generations need from Scottsdale Bible Church over the next 40 to 50 years. Uh, when this campus was first built, it lasted us a good 30-some-odd years. This is going to take us into the next season. Now, I know what some of you are already thinking already. Jamie, how much is this going to cost? Well, any major building campaign is, is a lot of money. It, it's just what you do every 20 or 30 years as a church. And this one is going to come in at about 18 to $19 million to do it right. But before that freaks you out, please know that one— we're looking to raise more than that because as I'm going to talk next week, we have multi-sites church planting and international ministries. So we're looking to have this campaign be a total of $23 million. But please know a couple things. One, that's very doable for a church our size. I've been through two campaigns before as a church in, in my previous pastorates, and though they were lesser number, it was actually more of a greater number given the size of the church than this is. And the second thing you need to know is that there's a lot of people already committed to this. We're asking you to get on board this month and then next month when we start our campaign. But there are lots of people who have already committed to this. In fact, we've seen millions already pledged to this. Isn't that encouraging? And we're going to share with you at the end of February what our leadership and stakeholders have come up with. But we're, get, we're on our way already, but it is going to take all of us. 
One of the elders who's been involved in this early on has been Ed Grant and his wife Diane. And Ed has been in this church for 26 years. He has three generations here, himself, his children, and now his grandchildren. And we captured a little bit of Ed's story to encourage you as we wrap up here today. So I want you to look up here on the screen and let's hear Ed talk to us and Diane and their kids and see what God has done in their family and has excited them about this. And then I'm going to spend a few moments talking to you about our next step together as a congregation that I think you're really going to like. So look up here on the screen. I'm in kind of a unique position. Uh, My father was a Methodist minister. My uncle was a Methodist minister. My grandfather was a Methodist minister. So God was always a part of my life. But I never really had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ until I came to Scottsdale Bible. And in 1986, when we came to Scottsdale, our son, Eddie, our oldest son at the time, who was about 12, uh, got involved in the youth group here at Scottsdale Bible Church. In seventh grade, I was at a, uh, one of the church-sponsored camps. I prayed the prayer to accept Jesus in my heart. And I remember the very first thing I did after this happened was I called my parents to tell them about it. And he called and he said, I answered the phone, he said, Mom, you know, I accepted Christ. And I went, good. You know, I didn't fully understand that because that was prior to my own acceptance of Christ. And that compelled us all to start checking out what was going on there at Scottsdale Bible. As a matter of fact, our youngest daughter, Debbie, who was only 10 years old at the time, realized from her lessons how important it was to be baptized. So we very happily got baptized right along our, uh, alongside our 10-year-old daughter, Debbie. The youth ministry for our children is really what drew us all here, without a doubt. It was such a critical part for me growing up, and it is such a critical part for my children today. And it's just so very neat to see him work in them and through them, even at this young age. That's why I'm so thankful for Scottsdale Bible because they offer so many opportunities through their children's ministry. They love going to the Awana, they love going to um, their Sunday school program, and just on random occasions, they'll come up to me and say a Bible verse, and that just warms my heart. So neat to see. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Somewhere along the line, we just blinked. And lo and behold, our oldest grandchild, Faith, is now the same age that our youngest daughter, Debbie, was when we first started attending 26 years ago. Compelled by grace, to me, means that we're understanding and appreciative of the grace God has extended to us, and that we're compelled by that grace to do what we can to extend it to others. Diane and I are making the biggest financial commitment to Compelled by Grace that we've ever made. And we're doing it on faith. But that faith is backed up by the past 26 years experience of coming to Scottsdale Bible and seeing how Scottsdale Bible affected our lives and our children's lives by the activities, the youth groups, the ministries that we've been involved in, the Bible studies. All of that is what is our core. Uh, it's, it's, Scottsdale Bible Church is our community. It's our refuge. Church is about creating opportunities and places for people to feel comfortable, to feel loved, to be involved. And we think Compelled by Grace is going to only further that and is going to be an additional opportunity for it. 
And so I want to do my part to do what I can to preserve not my legacy, but God's legacy here through Scottsdale Bible. To God to love the world that he gave his only son. <laughs> I, uh, I know many of you got a lot of questions. At the end of the uh, brochure we've given you, I hope you take home and read, there is a, a big, bold, 10-question FAQ. We're developing a website that's up right now on our main website that is going to answer further questions, even a spot for you to ask questions. Throughout the months of Feb January, February, and into March, we're going to be talking about this with you and asking each of you, now don't miss this, to pray and ask God what he would have you do. That's all we're asking. We're asking you to pray and ask the Lord what he would have you do. And we're going to guide you through that journey. But I want this to begin as it begun for you, as it begun for the elders five years ago. I want it to begin with prayer. So the very first thing we're going to do to kick off this vision series and to kick off the campaign as we head into in February is to call the church together to pray. So this Thursday night, here in our sanctuary at 6.30 p.m., I am going to be here leading us in a time of concentrated prayer. And I invite you back, please, to come be with us here. You know, the biggest problem is for pastors when we call a prayer meeting. In a church of about 5,000, whenever we call prayer meetings, about 100 of you show up to pray. And, and, and though I get it, I mean, you know, we're all busy and prayer is a little bit daunting and all this. And let's not do that this time. When we call for a prayer meeting, I hope this place, I mean, I got a number in mind. I'm not going to share it with you. It's between me and God. But I just hope that hundreds and hundreds of you come out to pray with me this Thursday night. We're going to watch a short video, the same one the elders watched on revival and prayer. It's a blast from the past, a voice from the grave on the importance of prayer and revival. And then we're going to pray for the revival of our church and community. We're not going to pray about buildings. We're not going to pray about multi-sites or church planting. We're going to pray much bigger than that. We're going to seek God together and pray about revival. And we'll have you out of here by 8. So 6.30 to 8 this Thursday night. If you're available, come. And here's the deal. If you're not available, cancel it and come anyways. Can you do that? I was thinking about it this way. I thought, you know what? If, if somebody in your, I mean, Lord forbid, if, if a good friend of yours or a long-lost uncle dies, what are you going to do? You're going to cancel everything, and you're going to go to that funeral. Or if your kid calls you and is in a crisis, you're not going to say, you know what? It's law and order night. I just can't come. No, you're going to cancel whatever you're doing, and you're going to go be with your kid. I believe God is calling us together to pray as a church this Thursday night. And if you can be here, I invite you personally as your pastor to join me here to pray. That's where we're going to start. I'm so excited for where God is leading us. I can hardly contain myself. Some Sunday, Saturday nights, I don't sleep well because I'm nervous about the sermon. I didn't sleep well last night because I'm just so excited. And I was up to 1 o'clock, and we have a lot of people praying for you that you can catch the vision of where God is leading us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all that you've blessed us with as a church. That's the seedbed of this vision, is the fact that you have poured out the water of your Holy Spirit upon the desert of our dry lives, and you've changed us from the inside out. And so Isaiah 44 is so incredibly true. And I pray, God, that as we move together now forward as a church, when it comes to the strategy that you've given to the leadership here, I pray, God, that you speak to all of our hearts and our minds and help us to see what you're doing here and both the cogency and the conviction and the Christ-centeredness of this plan. And that really involves just changing lives one life at a time. 
So God, as we seek you in prayer together as a congregation of faith, as each of us seek you individually in our lives about what you have us do, God, speak to us. We know the provision will be met. God, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you for the church you've given us. We're grateful and look forward to what you're going to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we all say together, amen.